Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm so glad you've come back. And if you've just found us, I'm really delighted that you have too. We're going to be talking with Jennifer Lehrer, and we're going to be talking about something that happens after we understand attachment theory. You know that there's other episodes on attachment theory. We'll give you a quick overview, but then we're going to jump into what's possible when you want to reconcile a relationship. So stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to this episode of Save Your Sanity. That's just what we want to do here. And of course, for many of us, we question our sanity on a daily basis when we're with a toxic person. And that is really not a great way to live life. Walking on eggshells, as I say so often, is not a great way to get your exercise. So today I'm talking with Jennifer Lair, and we are going to talk about her program, WeConcile.com. And we're going to talk about if and when and how it applies when you're in a relationship with a person who has no intention of changing. Welcome to the program, Jennifer. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so let me tell everybody just a really little bit about Jennifer. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, the founder of WeConcile, an online program for committed couples seeking help as well as an educator on the process of living, self-acceptance, and stepping into your magic life. Well, life doesn't feel very magic when you're with a toxic person, does it? It does not. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, you keep hoping for magic every morning, like, please have that person I fell in love with return. You know, it was so idyllic. It was so perfect. He or she knew my every need, anticipated what I was thinking, provided me with everything I wanted. And then where did this other person turn up all of a sudden in my relationship? Right. And how do I get rid of that person? (laughs) Well, how I get rid of that person, or can I do something to help, or is it possible even to do something to help? So tell us a little bit about your story and how it led you to do the work that you do. Okay, so I um, would say that as a young person, relationships were my Achilles heel. Um, I grew up in a family that was not very relational, um, and um, had a fair fair degree of violence, and, you know, it just wasn't a, a... It wasn't an optimal growing up situation. So I went out into the world with dismal relationship skills and um, had a series of not not very functional relationships and eventually um, married um, and did a lot of therapy, couples counseling and individual therapy um, in an attempt to make that relationship work. And after 14 years of being together, 11 years of marriage, um, we divorced. Um, 
And in the process, I, I was also working with couples. I became a therapist in the process. Uh, and I was working with a lot of couples realizing they didn't have the enough of a tool belt. They didn't have the skills they needed to, or the time or the money to, to do what it took to really make the relationship great. And I started doing a lot of training, um, couples training and other training. And I uh, decided that there could be a platform to help couples learn a lot more. And then if they chose to go to therapy, they'd be stepping in with, with a lot more information. And if they chose not to, they could still make improvements. Uh, And so I started writing um, a program, um, We Can Sell, to basically, it it sort of follows the steps and stages of emotionally focused therapy for couples and uh, to help people fix their relationship if possible. Yes, well, there is the big caveat for my audience, if possible, because, you know, we're, we buy into the dream, we buy into the possibility, we buy into the, if I do everything I possibly can, then, then that will work. If I do even a little more than seems possible, maybe it will work. And right. if you're with a toxic person, they're just loving that. Give me more, give me more, accommodate me more, compromise more, jump through my hoops. And then as soon as you do that, I'll move the marker and you keep, you want to be hopeful. Right. So how do you know, you know, you say dismal relational ability in your family. (laughs) What does that actually mean? What does it look like in a relationship? Uh, in my family growing up, it meant there weren't any hugs. There were no pos- There wasn't positive, oh, you're doing great, or wow, that was good, or a lot of criticism, a lot of hitting, um, chairs getting broken, uh, dogs getting kicked. I mean, it was um, not, my dad had pretty much an anger problem, and my mom was uh, sort of on the spectrum of um, autistic spect- spectrum disorder, where she was, didn't, couldn't access her emotions at all. Um, and so we, um, I think we struggled. And so when you grow up like that, you know, you learn a lot of your relating by osmosis and, uh, I, what I osmosed wasn't, um, great. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I think probably several people listening just went, Oh, sounds a lot like my house. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that when we are little, our brains are underdeveloped. And so we're taking everything in through our senses, everything. I mean, babies put everything in their mouths. They want to taste everything, grab everything, pull everything. And they're trying to make sense of all of this. And then they're looking for love. They're looking for that reassurance. They're looking for that. You're welcome here. We're happy that you're here. We're delighted that you're here. Let us look after you. Let us learn to communicate with you. That would be perfect. But in a home, as you say, that that has dismal relational abilities. It's like, Oh, there you are. <laughs> and you need something. What do you mean? That's an annoyance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people could relate to that. So when was it that you recognized the impact of having had that upbringing? Um, that's a good question. I don't know that I connected my upbringing to my relationship patterns for a while. I think I read the, um, I think um, in my 20s, I read uh, The Family, John Bradshaw, uh, that book. And I think that's when I realized, uh, I think I went to one of his, um, I went to one of his weekend workshops in New York. I was in New York at the time and um, read his book and went, oh, 
this is where this is coming from. Yeah. So that's sure. open that door. Yeah. And so breaking the ties that bind and things like that books by mm-hmm. John Bradshaw, who's no longer with us, but had some very valuable things to say. And, yeah. and he also spoke about the impact of shame. And that's an important thing for us to realize that gets tapped into when we're in a toxic relationship, that feeling of, I'm not good enough. I'm not trying hard enough. If only I were a better human or prettier or smarter or quieter or more patient or whatever, they would like me. And Mm -hmm. that gets ingrained in us as little people when we come from a home like that. We don't even know it's in there. So then that, that, uh, helps us to understand where we fit when we talk about attachment theory. So for people who may not have listened to other episodes, what do we mean by attachment theory, Jennifer? Well, when I think of attachment theory, I think about the style. So attachment bonds are, you know, the mammalian need to connect. And um, attachment style has to do with our strategy of connecting. We need to connect. But if we're connecting to someone who's unsafe, Uh, as a baby or a child, we have to develop strategies. How do we, you know, what do we do when we need someone, but that person is volatile or unsafe? And so that's, um, I look at it sort of as strategies to to connect. And then of course, there's various types and, you know, how people, what those strategies are. Yeah. So for you, Every one of us, if we were ideally placed in the most loving home possible, we would have a secure attachment style. We would right. know we were welcomed by joy, as my friend Dr. Gary Salyer says. We would know that they were anticipating our birth for all the right reasons. Remember mm-hmm. when you're with a toxic person, you may be their child, and it may seem that they should really be happy about that. But you're there to serve their needs, make them look good and validate them. And if you're not doing that, like you become a two-year-old who says no to them, all of a sudden dynamics change. And so we may not have that secure attachment. So maybe we become aware that, will they like me? Won't they like me? Will they like me? Push, pull, push, pull. Don't know quite where I stand. So we have an anxious attachment style. And maybe I've kind of given up. Maybe I'm one of those babies that arches my back and, you know, don't touch me kind of baby. And we get very avoidant. Uh So these things can be happening that are within the, the opposite of a secure attachment, which is insecure attachment. And if we get into that situation it can last a lifetime if we don't kind of wake up and smell the herbal tea, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So what should somebody do if they're just dawning on them that maybe it wasn't me. Maybe they didn't have love to give. Maybe they didn't welcome me with joy and it wasn't my fault. I was a baby. I just arrived. I don't know. Um, How do I extinguish that feeling of, not being wanted or not being good enough. I know when, um, when I was working with people that often I had to set it up so that they were, they saw another child or another person because they had trouble having empathy for themselves. And so imagine that happening to your niece or your nephew. And how would you feel? Oh, I would feel horrible that that was happening and that poor child. And then, you know, so imagine it happening to you. And then they were able to transfer those feelings to themselves. Um, but basically developing empathy for 
the horrible situation they were stuck in where their needs were constantly being foiled and they had to turn into themselves to look for support and children are supposed to get support from outside themselves more than from inside themselves. Yes. And that comes back to that whole welcome by joy thing. Um, Welcomed with joy um, because I want to take care of you. I'm listening to you. I'm looking at you. You know, recently I had the opportunity. I'm, I am a, the kids and family category director for podcast magazine. So I was interviewing Janet Lansbury on her podcast unruffled respectful parenting. So we were talking about this kind of thing, like actually wanting to communicate with a baby, kind of figure out what it is they're communicating. You know, maybe goes, and I love this one. She said, you know, when you really get attuned, you can go to the baby and say, I'd like to pick you up. How do you feel about that? And you can calibrate their feelings. Well, wow. I mean, that's just the opposite of toxic parenting. Right, <laughs> to, yeah. To be attuned and wanting to be attuned to this creature you've brought into the world. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work with helping people reconcile their relationship with your program, Reconcile. And do you believe that all relationships can be saved? No. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, I do not. Um, I mean, if you go into the therapeutic world, there's this attempt to save them all. Um, And I don't think it's, I think sometimes you're not, what you're trying to do is help each other see, um, each person see the other's limitations and make a decision on whether they're willing to, whether they can live with, whether they want to deal with those limitations. And if, if, is it nourishing enough? I mean, I think there's a lot that can be taught, but if you have a person who doesn't want to change, um, you have to really be willing to be very, very adaptive and let go of a lot of your needs. If you want to keep that relationship and not everyone's going to want to do that. Why would a person want to keep that relationship? Sometimes people are afraid to let go. It, it, even though it's, um, not nourishing, it might, you know, it might be familiar like what they had as a child. It might be feel safer than being by themselves. They might be scared to be by themselves. So there's various reasons why someone might cling to a not great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Such good points. You know, it, if we don't know any different, we're kind of afraid there isn't any different out there. And you know, that, that really I'm sure resonates for many people because if you've been treated this way when you were a child and you attract a relationship that's comfortably uncomfortable, but yet familiar, you may not think you deserve a better relationship. You may not think that there are such things as better relationships because people have told you marriage is hard work and, and uh, partnership takes diligence and compromise, you know, (laughs) and, and people, go to extremes with that. I mean, compromise is one thing, but accommodating is another and being able to work things out nicely and fairly. You know, I talk a lot in my work, Jennifer, about the three hallmarks that I created for a healthy adult relationship. They must have equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. And if you don't have those three things, you you know, the wheels are going to fall off. And I did a podcast on that just recently, episode 115, to, to, to give people a really in-depth understanding of the three must-haves of a healthy adult relationship. Right. Because 
to be able to say, okay, this applies to every relationship. If these three things aren't there, and my partner, I say, you know, I never feel equal in this relationship. And they look down their nose and say, good. <laughs> they may not say it in just those words. Right. They would say, oh, poor dear, you know, you have a problem. But mm-hmm. if that kind of thing happens, you know, we want to have this conversation today that says, okay, if somebody's treating you like a second-class citizen and they don't see a problem, then right. don't be surprised if your relationship doesn't change no matter how much you do. Right, yeah, because that person doesn't want the um, relationship to be equal or on the same footing. Right? No, they're not interested in equality. They're definitely interested in control. And, yeah. and you know, that's a huge thing. So, you know, if if people relate to attachment theory and they say, okay, I was raised in a home where I had an anxious attachment. I I never knew if there was going to be food or mom or dad was coming home or if I was going to be hit or if someone's going to love on me. And I I just didn't know. And now I get into relationship with somebody who's like me. What are the odds that we're going to be able to reconcile that relationship? Well, if you both are able to um, do a lot of work and change and learn how to create trust and safety between each other and eventually have a, create a secure attachment, you can do it. But if, if it requires two people that want to create, that recognize what's going on and want to create a secure attachment and take the, learn, get the tools and take the steps to do so. Yeah. Well, you said the big word there that they want to. Right. And the difference between saying you want to and actually doing the work can be a huge gap. There's a huge gap there because what happens is they start getting into feelings, uncomfortable, terrible feelings like shame. And, and they're like, oh, I, don't, I can't do that. And they get defensive or shut down or they just can't find a way to <clears throat> open. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really realize what's there because you've spent so much time trying to, trying to kind of smooth it over and maybe, maybe even uh, submerge feelings that you have. and it does take a lot of courage to say, you know, I think our relationship could be better. And I'm willing, if you'll hold my hand and we'll walk through this, I'm willing. How about you? And when you have a partner who actually says yes and actually walks with you and you, neither of you quit, yay, you know, this is going to go Mm -hmm. somewhere. Good. So is that the type of person who, you believe is an ideal candidate for weconcile.com? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, people that are, you know, they're used to, they understand that it's a process and it will involve learning and being uncomfortable. Um, But they want, they, they have a vision of what they want. They, they want that great relationship then. And both part, both parties want it and both parties believe it's possible then you can, then I think it's, it is quite doable. It's when you've got people that really just get stuck in, uh, it's very being, it's a very negative thing where they don't want to, they don't want to unpeel the onion of what's under there. That's making me, you know, want to have, you know, want to be more powerful than you or want to, you know, allow, why do I allow myself to get angry and speak in ways I shouldn't speak when, why, why aren't I willing to look for a different way to communicate if they, you know, if they're holding on to these old ways that don't work, 
and defensive about them, that has to be opened up or it won't work. I mean, that has to be changed. So Yes, and, and you have to calibrate the fact that, okay, they're, they're a little slow coming to the party or a little reluctant to open up, but the question is always, will you eventually do that? Or are you just here for the ride? You know, I think that because we both work with couples, it's really important for us to bring out these very important features. Because sometimes when I see a couple, and I have clients all over the world, so I'm seeing them on Zoom, and I can read the the bubbles over their heads when I initially see them. And each bubble says, everything would be fine if you fixed the other one, right? Right, right. And that's, um, that's where they get stuck. Um, if I fix, if you get fixed, we'll be okay. Instead of we've, we've co-created this somehow. There's a reason that we've attracted, we've been attracted to each other and ended up together. And we both need to, you know, look at ourselves. Yeah. And so, you know, what I always tell people is, okay, this is a no blame zone. The first thing that we're going to look at is ourselves and to be self-reflective and just say, how do I feel about that? What do I remember about that? And speak only about myself. You know, I have a whole technique too that, that I developed and wrote about in some of my books. And I think it's really important to have a way to communicate with one another that is very, very personal in speaking about my part in things without saying you at all. That, you know, whatever's going on with you, I'm not an expert in. That's your expertise. You know you. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I'll leave it over there. And and so I'm going to speak about what's going on within me. And then um, we'll float that on the air and see if there's any interest in discussing that or any curiosity in knowing how I function. And if there is not... Then we have to look at another piece, which is what I find in my work. So I'm interested in what happens for you is that sometimes people and, you know, uh, everybody knows that I trademark the term hijackles to talk about people who are relentlessly difficult and toxic and hijackles like to come along because they really think that they are so super charming that they can manipulate, exploit, seduce the therapist Mm -hmm. into agreeing with them. Mm -hmm. And then they can get in cahoots with the therapist to re-wound the partner. What's your experience of that? Um, Well, (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Um, I, how do I say this? So, Yes. You know, for me as a therapist, I I can be very challenging when I run into someone like that. I tend to challenge them um, and try to get them to look at, you know, well, how's this working? You know, this is what you're doing. How's this working? Um, It's, it's just a difficult dynamic to work with because you've got to get them out of that. It's a narcissistic, slightly sociopathic kind of place and you've got it and they may not be interested in insight they may be way attached to the role um, that they're in and not really, and it, and you just sort of that. And at some point you may suggest recommend that they go into both go into individual therapy. If you don't think that this is going to um, be able to be workable. And, <laughs> and at that moment, the yeah. hijackal person says, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to work on myself. There's nothing wrong with me. I came here for the other. 
I came here to help you understand what I go through, how difficult it is, what I have to put up with, you know, fix that. And yeah. so that's one of the ways that we can actually calibrate when people come to us. We can help you because if you're in that situation and you're in a, with a re- person who behaves that way, a therapist who's astute, and not all are, some will not recognize this. I've had so many clients who, when they come to me, they say, I've already been to four client um, therapists and they didn't see it, right? right. Um, so it's really important for us to choose wisely when we go to see somebody who actually understands the dynamics of toxic relationships and what that's going to look like and sound like. But we're talking about people in hijackals who are interested in power over. So Mm -hmm. they're not very interested in being self-reflective, but they can play the game for a while. And because that's how they got you in the first place, they know how to play the game for a while. So let's talk about people who are maybe on the brink, Jennifer, people who are, they have a tendency to be a little narcissistic. Um, Maybe they have a few what we call narcissistic fleas, you know, they've had parents who were narcissistic, and they've learned how to behave like that, but it's not their true whole nature. What about people on the on that borderline? What what do you do to engage them so that you can find out if this relationship can, in fact, develop in a healthier fashion? Right. I think that's where you have to move into. Um, well, one of the places you have to move into is getting them to open up some of their stories and some of their pain, um, that individual. Because, I mean, you also have to look at their willingness um, to be in the relationship and make change and be there for their partner. But the you know the break through the defense often happens through vulnerable stories where they start connecting with um, what's underneath the uh, defensive structure and the control and if you can get them to do some work there you can start uh, dissolving some of the the choices they make uh, to put up walls instead of relate. Mm, I like that. Let's talk about that a little bit because. People do have defenses. Of course you do. Like you don't want to hear bad things about yourself. And, and and when someone else characterizes you as less than wonderful, you know, you don't you don't like that feeling. Right. Um, but how how do you how do you come to understand your defenses and what does it take? I mean, obviously a hijackal is not the least bit interested in any of that. Cause of course they don't have any defenses. It's all the other person's fault, right. but we're talking about people on the border here right. of right. being able to move and benefit from your program. So right. how do you kind of calibrate that? So, well, let me just, well, I'll give you an example. Let's suppose you have a couple and the, we'll, we'll make the man that the, the bad guy in this case, <laughs> The, the victim. Um, but though, let's suppose the woman is, um, they're talking about, um, she, she cries whenever he does something and, and it's, he, he yells and opening up for him. Um, so what, what is it, you know, what is it like for you when she's crying? Like, what does that do to you? What, what does it remind you of? And getting him to start looking at why he is so infuriated by his partner crying instead of having empathy and bringing him down into deep experience so that he can start connecting things that have been disconnected in his own psyche. Um, So that, that process of opening someone up into their own emotional reality makes them and getting them eventually to become vulnerable 
uh, helps them um, become a real person for the other, so they can relate to two real people instead of uh, two people with these responses that keep cycling and they can't find a way to meet because there's too much. Um, when you cry, I yell, and then you cry more, and then I leave and slam the door. The cycle that happens, and you you can't. You've got to open up. You've got them to rec- You have to recognize that what what happens between them, and then you have to start opening up areas where they are you know, what's going on underneath there? So you slam the door and you're angry, but maybe underneath you're really feeling like no matter what I do, I can't keep her happy. Or, and what, what's, is that, you know, where does that feeling come from and how do we, Oh, and then you start, Oh, there was a story that came up for you about when, you know, your mother, you brought your mother something and she, you know, why'd you make me that piece of shit or whatever. And then, you know, he got slapped down. And so, well, he's not going to feel anything anymore after that. No one wants to go through that more than a few times. So sort of, does that, is that making sense what I was saying? Well, it does because, well, first of all, we're talking that if you are, have some hope that you can reconcile a relationship or that you can work to a greater outcome or greater understanding, both people have to be willing. So you're talking about somebody who is willing to, to have a little opening and say, well, you know, it's not that I made up my mind today to walk out and slam doors. It's that quite a, quite a long time ago, I learned that, that being loving and, and coming forth with something is kind of an unsafe activity. And so when this happens now, I just automatically respond from that place. But in the therapeutic process, then you can say, but do you know that you could change that response? Are you interested in changing that response because of your interest in, in uh, having a joyous, full, satisfying right. relationship? Exactly. But with the hijackal, the answer is going to be no, just fix him or her. <laughs> right. And then, of course, it's like, well, we don't do that here. We don't fix people here like that. That's what the answer would be. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, this is an equal opportunity situation here. We both have equal opportunity to grow. If somebody says, I'm sorry, I'm just going to stay at this height for the rest of my life, then, you know, okay, great. So um, see yeah. ya. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can do that, but it doesn't happen in this room. Yeah. Yeah, um, certainly I have fired clients. Have you? I have. Yeah. I, yeah, I have. Sometimes I say to people who, who came in and saying, oh, yes, we want to do this. We want to do this. Both of them said that. And then one of them will go into shut. And I remember a couple who came and they said they have four kids and they had a thriving entrepreneurial business. And they came and they said, you know, we really want to grow closer to each other because we're kind of missing each other in the mix here. And so we worked for a few few sessions and then I gave them some homework and I said, okay, you have a beautiful hot tub. Will you agree to twice a week for 40 minutes, get in the hot tub with your glass of wine, which is what they like to do, and actually learn something about your partner? Just something they like or something that happened to them or anything, you know, it could be anything, but, and then spend the time uncovering how they feel about that would you be willing to do that oh yeah that sounds like a great idea so they came back the next time i said how was it oh we don't have time for the hot tub that's ridiculous wow so i said to them okay i really understand that you would like magic to happen not a magician 
maybe it's the wrong time for you to be with me. You know, if, you, if you'd like to come back when you're actually ready to spend that time in the hot tub and inquire into your partner, I'll be willing to pick it up from here. And the look on their faces <laughs> was incredulous. Like, are you, are you firing us? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not firing you forever. I'm saying apparently this is not the right time. Right. And, right. you know, sometimes people need to know that we as, as helpers in this world uh, can see when you have shown us that you are not willing to move off the dime. Right. And therapists get really burned out if they're trying to do that work for the client. It's one of the, you know, it's really, if you're a therapist who's trying to carry that load and the client isn't doing it, that's, uh, that's a disaster. Well, it is. And, yeah. you know, that, that's also one of the ways that you can tell if you have a codependency as a therapist is you just keep trying to do that. <laughs> so tell us about Weconcile. Tell us all about that. So um, Weconcile is um, an online do-it-yourself educational system uh, for couples. And it, um, it teaches couples, so it starts basic and moves uh, more advanced. So the first uh, level you would learn, you would start doing what you, you basically talked about already, which is finding out about your, your, your partner. So there's assessments and, you know, what are looking at, well, what, what's important to you and your partner looks at what's important to that person. And then you, there's guided discussions where the, the system sets you up so that you're, you can look at your answers together and talk about, well, wait, I, I, I said this and you said that, I wonder what that means. So it's opening up knowing each other and curiosity because a lot of couples actually haven't talked about uh, really important basic stuff. Like, I mean, it's amazing. So the whole first level is relationship basics. It's getting, it's educating couples on, you know, what it takes to make a relationship work and asking, getting them to answer questions about themselves and then talk to their partner about what they've learned about uh, themselves and each other. So that's where it starts. And then it moves to the cycle, which is looking at the dynamics, the conflict, I call them disruptions because it's attachment disruptions really, as opposed to conflict, um, looking at the disruptions between them and what happens. So what is the action that you take when this person does this action? And what is the under the feeling attached to this, to this action? And so they start saying, okay, when this, when I do this, this person does this and we get it's the dog chasing its tail. So they recognize it and they can do a little bit of externalization like, okay, that's our cycle. That's a problem. Not I'm bad and you're bad. So start breaking up the I'm bad, you're bad thing. And then moving into level three is all about attachment, learning attachment language. So not just teaching about attachment, but attachment language means I can say, when you uh, forgot my birthday, not how dare did, how dare you forget my birthday, but I felt so hurt and let down and like I wasn't important to you and I, and I love you and I need to know that I'm important to you. So that's an attachment need or an attachment fear. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that you don't care about what I want. So getting them to start understanding attachment needs and fears and determining what their primary attachment needs and fears are and talking about it. So it's a sequential process of taking them through those are the first three. The step um, level four takes them into, and this I this is because so many people are not tuned into many aspects of their um, sensory. So, in other words, what when you're upset, what what do you feel, what are you feeling in your body? 
Are you getting images? What are you thinking? What emotions are you having? Uh, so they can start looking at, because sometimes someone who's cut off from their feelings and it's just a head might have like, you know, a, might say, well, my stomach is really clenched in and I feel cold. Well, you know, and start opening up. What, where does that take them? Well, it took them to a three-year-old who was locked in their room for two days. You know, it takes them to places where they go, oh. And so it starts opening up um, more pathways within them so that they start knowing who they are better because it's very hard to have a relationship with another person if you don't even know yourself. Um, so it's just, uh, there's 24 levels. Most people don't need anywhere near that. I actually wrote it for worst case scenarios. Um, and we're probably going to be doing some changes where it has more flexibility right now. It's a one path process and, um, you, you finish one level and you learn, uh, and then you learn and discuss, and then you move on to the next level together. So you can't move on without your partner being with, it's a two person path at this point. And if people did it in the ideal way, how long would it take them? If they did it in the ideal way, it would take six months. So it's like going to therapy for six months. If you because you're going to do an hour of reading, um, an hour or two, an hour, let's say an hour of reading, an hour of exercises and two hours of discussion. That's four hours, a level. If you do two hours a week, that'll take you. Um, there's 24 levels. 24 levels as well. It's almost half a year. You got it. Yeah. There's some work there to do. It's not like, you know, you don't get fixed for free. It takes some, you have to put your elbow grease in. (laughs) That's right. You got to get into that hot tub and have that conversation. Yeah. So So what what is this, what is the success rate of people completing it to a place where, where they really find value? Well, we, because we're so early in the launch, we have had very few people complete it. But the people who have done partial, you know, whether they've done one level or three levels or seven levels, um, have said, this has really, like we had uh, the early testing. We did early testing before we were automated on uh, Microsoft Word documents. And one couple told us that for every hour of reading, they had 30 hours of discussion. And it changed their that changed their relationship. And I think they did seven levels. That's all they needed. They got what they needed in seven levels. For them, probably took, you know, seven months because they probably did a level a month. They were both really busy. Um, Yeah, so the feedback is good. There's just, um, we're early and not that many people have gotten all the way through it. And most people don't need to get all the way through it. Yes, because not everybody's in the worst case scenario. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for talking to me about this. I'm so happy to bring this to people's attention and to have this conversation because, you know, there's this myth out there that, oh, relationships can all be fixed. And if each person is 100% involved, that's true. But if you're with a difficult person, a toxic person, they're yeah. not involved in the way that you are and having a happy result that is equal, reciprocal, and mutual. Right. <laughs> They're there to jump in and make you wrong and make themselves more right. So it was great to have this conversation, remind everybody about attachment theory. So my guest today was Jennifer Lair. You find her at weconcile.com. So reconcile, except weconcile.com. Right. Yeah. And you can always find uh, Jennifer, by going to the website, weconcile.com. 
So thanks for joining me today on Save Your Sanity. And you know what I'm going to say because I remind you at the end of every broadcast, treat yourself very well because you're precious and you matter. And I'll look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me by a video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.